Well, welcome everybody to the Ask an Accountant podcast, where we demystify accounting by simply asking your pressing questions from the industry's best and brightest. My name is Tony Wilson, your host, quirky friend, and total accounting nerd. Today, I'm joined by my friend and LinkedIn's cutest accountant, Michael Eckstein, who runs Resting Business Face, which is an accounting and advisory firm that helps digital agencies, creatives, and consultants stop worrying about and start understanding their business finances. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, In many ways, Michael, I just got to tell you this. You are an inspiration to me. Really? Yes. Let me me tell you. I hear that a lot. And and before you tell me why, I yeah. need to point out that I'm the kind of person that doesn't know I'm going to eat for lunch every day, and <laughs> you should rethink your inspirations. Like, Superman is an inspiration. I'm a guy that does math on Long Island, you know? True. I mean... Yeah. So why am I inspiration? Though? You're in... Uh, well... Pump my ego up. Let, let, me, let me tell you this. Let me, let me, let me pump, pump that ego for you. Um, yes. You, I feel like, give me the license and freedom as an accountant to also use emojis on LinkedIn. Oh, yes. I think, I mean, if for nothing else, like that alone is one of the greatest contributions that you bring. No, that's not true. To the profession. To the profession, for the entire profession. (laughs) Right? It's just move over AICPA. I'm bringing emojis to accounting. I seriously. That's how we're going to start, you know, the chart of accounts. We are going to start. I actually wonder if you can put emojis and category names or if like the software throw a fit and just be like no it has to be letters you you gotta try there's only one way to find out and that's to try it i mean it it would be good we're gonna start on a tangent just so the people watching know there were topics we're supposed to talk about we're not talking about them now it's fine um i think you can be a lot more creative with the chart of accounts um names for people that don't know those are the categories right that you slot transactions into so what I mean by that is I've got a client, he does his own books, and he always puts wage expense into wage payable. And no matter how much I explained it to him, he wouldn't stop because obviously that difference doesn't matter if you're not an accountant. It doesn't make sense. So I changed it to, in full caps, not this one, wages payable. And I wonder if I can add like a like a no emoji to the front of all the accounts I don't want them touching. So it's like, no, you are not allowed to not touch retained earnings. Don't even don't even think about touching accumulated depreciation. That's a me account, not a you account. <laughs> don't even look at it. Right. And that would actually be sick if I could put a do not touch this emoji. Oh yeah. What would like that emoji look like? Sign? I'm trying to I'm trying to think. Like would a, it be like one of those ones? No, the do not enter sign, like the no smoking oh. sign. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. That's or good. that. I mean, we can find out. We have varying tiers of do not touch priority. Mm. Like we could have ones where it's like, if you touch this account, I will drop you as a client. How dare you? <laughs> like if you if you touch my individualized shareholder distribution accounts, I will fucking kill you. <laughs> like that is how I'm tracking all the distributions. That's a, I don't dump everything into one big shareholder distributions account. Every partner has one. Makes my life so much easier Amen. when I need to go back and figure out what was going on. Mm-hmm. Right? If you touch it, I'll kill you. I'll kill someone. Like <laughs> that's so great. That's gonna screw everything up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I will just say, you know, if if we can introduce emojis into the chart of accounts, maybe that would be maybe that would be your greatest contribution to the accounting profession. 
Could be. I mean, should talk to Mark at, over at Monkby. Maybe he can make that happen. Mark, I'm coming Let's for you. Let's get him on the call. Let's do this. I if he's watching. I, he's watching. I hope so. I hope so. You better be. Um... <laughs> Um, anyway, oh, I'm Christopher Day. I, I, I will just say, Christopher Day just yes. commented. He said, "Emojis oh. in the chart of accounts, QuickBooks? No, unfortunately, I've tried, oh. and this would be. Oh, and he said this would be the, the do not enter sign like you were talking about. So I guess it doesn't work. Chris just said so. Mm. I'm gonna try it in zero later. Okay, do it. Mm. Maybe that's the reason for people to migrate. Anyway." We may have gotten a little bit off and topic, better, but good. you can see for everybody who's watching, you can see why Michael is inspirational. He brings yes. so much to the accounting profession. You actually, you really do though. It's so funny, yes. Michael, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with some of my fellow accountants who I don't bring you up, but they will bring you up. They're like, hey, have you seen some of Michael's posts? And I'm yeah. like, fun fact, I have, and I'm gonna have them on my show. <laughs> Um, yeah. so you're, you're phenomenal. You, you've got a great brand and I think that's mm -hmm. one of the things it's, it's, it's very sticky. It's, it's, you know, and you've got the, the best darn newsletter was a business, small business newsletter. The best damn small business newsletter on the internet. You heard it here, guys. You heard it here. That's a fact. It, I mean, there's also like five newsletters about small businesses. So like, it's not hard. Yeah, that's true. You know, <laughs> but it's like, good. I didn't pull anyone. It's not like JD Power was just like it's the best. And like I don't know who JD Power is. If they can make up awards, I can make up awards. Yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, that's also the reason why we all know you as LinkedIn's cutest accountant. Oh yeah, no, I made that one up. Yeah, there was a whole post about it like a year ago. I got to repost that. <laughs> Please, it's category do. creation. Oh, I like it. Mm. That's smart. The marketers in the audience will know what that is. Yeah, mm. all you consultants out there, Chris Lockheed. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Well, uh, Michael, now that we've thoroughly discussed a, a variety of random topics, uh, do you maybe want to just tell us a little bit about your story? You, you're currently running R Rusting Business Face, which, mm -hmm. by the way, is a phenomenal name. Um, Thank you. I don't think this happened like overnight. This has been a story, a progression. So talk us through the, the story. What's what's the story? So I don't have one of those like super fun origin stories. I feel like whenever you listen to podcasts, they're like, how did you get into whatever? And they're like, I went to the Himalayas. I went backpacking. I found myself. And I was just like, I got to do numbers for the rest of my life. And you're like, oh, okay. No, I got like tricked into accounting. My dad's an accountant. And I was like, I'll do math for the rest of my life. Now I'm here. And I realized, uh, uh, math for the rest of my fucking life. Now I have to get into arguments with people about like payables accounts and be like, no, there's a difference between this payable and that payable. We got to book it right. Now that's my life, talking to tax departments. But um, no, so I got tricked into accounting. I came out, started working with my dad. He's an accountant, has a solo practice. And at a certain point, um, his firm was already at critical mass, right? That's one of the nice things with accounting practices. Once you have enough clients, you can live off the referrals, right? And just like coast forever. And his firm was there and he was like, I don't want to take new clients at all let alone if they're referrals like so i was like if this is going to work and i'm going to take over this business there have to be new clients at some point because the progression of life these ones will die at some point right so that's how um my original practice extinct tax services was created and it was just like a slow progression right at first it was like a little bit of an experiment then it slowly became one of like the higher rated practices in my like immediate area i think it's still the top rated practice in like my immediate area wow. right 
right? And the Xteen Tax Services website is still up. It's still running because um, it ranks well. And like I get a few thousand dollars worth of leads off it every year. I'm like, I can't get rid of that. Wow. The math in me is like, the ROI is amazing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh -huh. Like, I pay like 30 bucks a year for that website. <laughs> um, so I keep it rolling. And at some point, I was listening to a podcast with another accountant on it. And he kind of made this point. I believe it was Greg Crabtree. And he made a point on it. And he said, if accountants are going to say that we provide value to our clients, then why is it that we lead with compliance services and fill in the cracks with consulting? Mm -hmm. Shouldn't it be the opposite way around? Shouldn't we lead with consulting services and fill in the cracks with compliance? Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's a very good point. You know? And the more I thought about it, the more I realized consulting is the part of accounting I enjoy. Hmm. I enjoy kind of workshopping clients' issues and getting through it um, more than I enjoy preparing taxes. Plus, no one's really like super hyped when you give them the tax return. No one's like, hell yeah, I'm going to put this on my wall. Like, they're just like, thank you. I should have right. had to pay you for this. The American tax system is screwed. I'm like, you know, fair, but like, call your congressional representative. I don't know. Like, That's true. That's very true. That's not a me problem. <laughs> right. Um, so eventually, yeah, started writing the newsletter, started um, posting on LinkedIn. And um, now I'm an accounting mini influencer. I'm trying to be the accounting influencer that you wonder what they do. Wait a second. You just call that a mini influencer? Mini influencer. <laughs> yeah, I'm a mini influencer. I'm a that's great. I like that. I think that's a, that's an accurate depiction. And it's like it's an, a perfectly good aspiration to have is Yes. I influence a small group of people. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even really like use the influence. I don't like sell things to anyone. So, I mean, slide in my DMs. I can be bought. But um, <laughs> he's really good, company. by the way. Um, right. I, There's only like five influencers to choose from. I'm like number six. All right. <laughs> Work with me on this. This is your problem. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, I will just say for everybody watching, uh, Michael and I had like a prep session and yeah. like totally un, you know, it was just, we were just kind of going with the flow and he pulls out his whiteboard. He's like, I love doing this. I love hopping on I calls. I do love the whiteboard. I, he's like, I can't turn the consultant brain off in my, off in me. I just I have to I can't live without the whiteboard. <laughs> I know how I had client meetings before they were all virtual and on Zoom because like once you start getting into more complex topics, the whiteboard I feel helps illustrate, helps mm -hmm. keep my own thoughts straight and while I think accountants can think through accounting issues, tax issues, mathematical issues, and keep it all in our head, your average business owner can't. And they need to see the fact pattern written out. And it also helps keep you on track with the same fact pattern instead of doing that thing where you're like, this is the initial fact pattern. Mm -hmm. And then start skewing to help your example. Mm -hmm. um, no, I, I love the whiteboard. Ugh. So good. It's so good. Right. One of the reasons why you would work with a person like Michael. But anyway, that's that's beside the right. point. That's eventually right. going to be the point. But I've got a couple like uh, specific questions based on yes. your story. The, the so, on topic questions. The, the on topic questions. Exactly. <laughs> um, so coming back to your story, it sounds like it's not like you set out from college to be like, I know exactly what I'm going to do and what I'm going to be. It's just kind of like no. it just kind of happened yeah. as you went. Yeah, and to be honest, I never really wanted to be an accounting influencer. Still, like to this day, I say it because I think it's hilarious. I don't say it because I truly think I'm a thought leader in the space. I just think it rubs a handful of accountants the wrong way, and like that's all I need, right? <laughs> Stir the pot. Stir the right. pot, right? I love it. Uh, that I think that's a little bit of what I do, right? 
Um, the whole reason I started posting on LinkedIn was realistically just to get more clients, to get more people reading the newsletter. It's not to be um, accounting famous, although mm. I think that'd be hilarious. So that's the goal now. How funny would that be? I'm right? for that. I'm for that. It'd be hilarious. I think so too. Oh. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> that is so, so good. So Michael, um, I think one other yeah. question, um, and I'm going to get to Chris's question. He just posted it. But um, one other question that I have is I noticed two letters behind your name. Do you mind yeah. telling us what what is that? Yeah, I have a fake accounting certification, not the real one everyone cares for. Um, I'm an enrolled agent instead of a CPA. And I'll actually explain the nuance difference for the people. Yes, please do. That- that care. So the nuanced difference is that CPA is certified public accountant, and it's technically a state by state um, certification. But most states do kind of recognize the other states and like, you do some minor jumping through hoops, and they'll recognize it in their state. So it's not like a CPA in New York can't help you wherever you're at, right. But the CPA exam is just different from the EA exam. The CPA exam is the four accounting sections, which I do not remember what they are. They're like auditing, regulations, business environment, and general accounting. Yeah, FAR is what they call it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. So that's what it is. So it's just a general accounting certification. And when you are a licensed CPA, you are allowed to what's called represent before the IRS, which means not actually preparing tax returns. You don't actually need a license to prepare tax returns. Anyone can do them. It's true. Right? Representing before the IRS means defending you in audits. It means that if, you know, God forbid Tony got audited, he could sign a signed power of attorney over to me and I could call on his behalf and discuss things. Right. right? And the second thing is the ability to sign on assured financial statements. So that's either audits, reviews, compilations, right? So that's what a CPA is. And those are the two like specific things a CPA can do that like a normal math person can't do, right? (laughs) Well, I never took a financial auditing class in college, right? And that is one of the required classes to sit for the CPA. I've got a ton of accounting credits. My accounting like major, I had like a 3.9 GPA in it. So like I can do accounting. I mean, I still check my debits and credits before I do a weird (laughs) journal entry. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Where it's like, I could book depreciation right now, but I had a friend and he's like, I'm doing an intercompany transfer. This is, I was like, I'm gonna have to look at my debits and credits (laughs) cheat sheet first to remember exactly which ones we're supposed Mm -hmm. to be doing, right? Yeah. So I never sat for financial auditing. I can't actually take the exam. Um, then after college, I took the EA exam, which is three tests on tax. And that also gives me the right to represent before the IRS, which was handy. It's handy, mm-hmm. still handy. And um, this is where I'm supposed to say that EAs are better at tax than CPAs. That's oh. really not true. Wait, but no, because but... like, a lot of people say that. They say the EA exams are specialized on tax. That means they're better than CPAs at tax. And people always try and say, I'd rather have an EA to my tax. I mean, having taken the EA exam and knowing the material that's on it and having practiced ever since then, it's still just a starting point. Both exams, like while the CPA exam is probably much harder than the EA exam, right? While they're both difficult exams that cover a lot of material, there's so much more you learn in real life that kind of goes into taxes. So yeah. 
either huh. way, I think each exam is like cool, but you still have to like suss out if you have a good professional. Mm, yeah. So I can't say one is better than the other. That's that's so true. And there's something about practice that you cannot you can't no test is gonna fully be able to 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 vet that out. So you're absolutely that, right about that. There's only so much material you can test. At yeah. the end of the day, tax is such a deep subject. They can only like tax doesn't get into like international expat taxation. Yeah. It doesn't get into like cannabis taxation. What's that? 208E, 280? Don't quote me on that. Right? It's they they don't get into like the niche kind of topics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or Maybe. state and local tax. Like, Oh, it does not cover state and local tax at yeah. all. Sales tax is included. Um, payroll isn't really included, hmm. from my understanding. Interesting. Right? And those are big. But one thing that's helpful and hopefully, you know, because as I think about like what we're trying to do in demystifying accounting for our audience, mm -hmm. one of the big things I like to reiterate over and over and over again is number one, just because somebody's an accountant does not mean they do taxes. Number mm -hmm. two, just because somebody is a CPA, that's me, doesn't mean they do taxes. Did you know yeah. Michael Eckstein knows the tax code and knows how to apply tax better than Tony Wilson CPA does? Which is probably more to say because you're an EA, but that's beside the point. It's also potentially because I do tax for a living. Even though I do a lot of consulting, I still do a lot of tax. So, mm -hmm. right. That's that's very true. Okay, so real quick, um, Chris mm -hmm. has been, um, thank you, Chris, Please. for your, your comments here. Um, his very deep working question, well, before I get to that one, he says, um, EA stands for Eckstein Angst. Maybe. That's, true. I'm going to rebrand it. That's good. Eckstein angst. Um, but then he asks a very, very good thought-provoking question. He says, what music do you listen to while working? Oh, I have like foreign playlists. The, my my issue is when I listen to music, uh, part of my brain tries to understand the lyrics. So I can't do complex like tax work and have part of my brain listening to the lyrics because I start getting distracted. Mm. So like... I'm over here doing difficult returns, and then my brain just like shifts gears for a second. I'm like, ah, I lost my spot. <laughs> right. So you listen to like Swedish music? I mean, what's the foreign? What is it? No, I have like like two or three German playlists. Actually, I can't speak German at all. I mean, if I could speak it, then I would need another foreign language playlist, right? Because then I would understand the lyrics. I would defeat the purpose. But um, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's good. Uh, Chris, hopefully, Christopher, hopefully that answers your question. Um, we can throw them in the show notes. You, If everyone wants oh, access yeah. to these playlists, please. <laughs> listen, to, you can listen to the garbage I listen to while preparing your taxes. Oh, uh, this is, yes, <laughs> please, let's make this happen. So, Michael, I think. Soundtrack of my office. Yeah. <laughs> I think what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to get into the, the meat. We've got so yes. many great questions that I know we're not going to get all to, but. Yeah. I do want to open up a number of cans of worms for you to please, talk please. about, to, as you call, math rant about. So let's yes. let's transition into some of those, shall math we? Rant. Yes. Okay. So first question I got for you. I have come across, me personally, have come across a number of small business owners who are hell-bent on saving mm -hmm. every single dime they can on their taxes. What would you say to somebody with this mentality? Um. First off, I understand where the mentality comes from, right? Um, typically in small businesses, taxes is like the only part of finances that anyone really talks about, right? So people kind of like hyper fixate on it. And if they're not paying their quarterlies, it's a big pain point. But the thing with 
getting like hell bent on lowering your taxes, I think it's important to remember like don't be penny wise pound foolish. Don't mm. buy things just because to lower your taxes, right? If it's a legit investment, sure. If it's an experimental investment, sure. But not just because, right? Um, don't let the um, tail wag the dog, right? At the end of the day, reducing taxes is nice, but sometimes it's better to run the business and take the tax hit because at the end of the day, you'll have a higher net ROI on whatever. Mm. on your time that's great right? so with ta- with saving taxes there is a diminishing return as you do more and more to save taxes and you start expending more and more advanced strategies you eventually start running out of things and everything starts making smaller and smaller differences and as you push your tax rate down you're now on lower and lower marginal brackets so it starts becoming less helpful yeah right and you get to a point where there's a larger ROI on your time to actively run and grow the business. That's good. Than to reduce taxes. That's so good. Yeah. Right? And you're you're so spot on. And, and when we were talking about this too, you had talked to me about like a tangible example. And I think it was the, what's that, Augusta rule? Oh, the Augusta loophole? Yeah, Augusta, Augusta loophole. Do you want to yeah. maybe talk a little bit about Augusta loophole as it relates to this question about like yes. All right. time and whatever? First off. I have an entire ranty post written up about how much I just fucking hate these like sexy tax loopholes that are mentioned on like every podcast. Uh-huh. And the problem is, is like if you're a business owner and you go on Google how to save taxes, you find all these blogs. First, you find the blogs that are, you should be an S corp that casually leave out all the things that are wrong with S corps. Mm. They're not the perfect solution to everything. There are situations where an S corp will cost you money, not save you money, right? But you always find these articles. Or people on Facebook or on LinkedIn or whatever that are like hyping up these amazing tax strategies that in reality don't really pragmatically exist. And one of them is the Augusta loophole. And what the Augusta loophole is, if you rent your personal residence for less than 15 days a year, you are not required to report the revenue. And that's not just like the IRS won't catch it. That's an IRS rule. You're not required to report the revenue under 15 days. And it's frequently called the Augusta loophole I believe because people that near live near wherever Augusta, that golf um, competition mm. is held, would rent their houses for exorbitant amounts of money for like a week, right? So that's I believe why it's called the Augusta loophole, right? So what someone realized is, what if you rented your personal residence for less than fifteen days to your business? Your business would pick up an expense, right? you would never have to report it on the personal side. So essentially you kind of materialize an expense, right? Which is nice. And like, that is super cool, but like you have to look at the requirements of it also, right? First you have to rent it for less than 15 days. So if you, if it's like a vacation rental that you rent over the summer, you can't use the Augusta loophole on it. If you Airbnb it every now and then you can't use the Augusta loophole on it, right? You cannot rent it for more than 15 days all year or it blows it up. Hmm. Right. And then the second problem here is you have to have a personal residence, which I I guess most people have homes. That's nice, right? Um, But you have to have a personal residence that you're willing to invite your employees. Like, let me take a step back. Most people use the rent your personal residence to the house as for employee retreats, right? If you're going to use it for an employee retreat, you have to want your employees in your house. You need to have employees. You need to have them in your house. You need to have like, 
at least a few in the local area that can mm-hmm. come over to your house. You you need to like provide them with food and stuff. You need to keep lots of contemporaneous proof for what the fair market value of what you provided was. Mm-hmm. So like, what would the fair market value be if I had to go rent a similar venue, right? So you need all this stuff to line up to get a $10,000 expense, which once you throw in all the tax brackets, okay, that could save you three, four grand, definitely. But it's like, I think when you walk through the example, it's not as great as everyone makes it seem because everyone mm-hmm. goes out and it's like the Augusta loophole. Mm-hmm. It's I'm not saying that three, four grand isn't a nice savings, but it's like for all the things you need to line up mm-hmm. at the very end for them to be like three grand, right? All that time and energy mm-hmm. could have been spent winning one more client. Well, right. I mean, <laughs> even just look at like the time required to do the Augusta Loophole. It's like, let's say it's like a two-week retreat that you have your employees come over for. That's To organize it, to have them over. Right. That's like two weeks. And then theoretically, you're having like meetings. So it's not even like revenue producing time. So all this to say, yeah. if you guys have been hearing, you know, you listeners have been hearing about, ooh, these fancy tax strategies to save like a couple dollars here and and you're you know trying to pe- bend over to pick up the penny when you know b- bend over mm-hmm. a dollar to pick up a penny um mm-hmm. you know sometimes it just doesn't it's not helpful but you need to maybe instead focus on revenue generating activities or actual roi activities mm-hmm. that's really good yeah and i, th- and, I mean i think there is a space for tax planning so i'm not trying to poo-poo tax planning as a whole thing but there is also lots of less sexy, more pragmatic tax planning. Mm-hmm. Like in a way, making sure your bookkeeping is super accurate is a form of tax planning because mm-hmm. when it's not accurate, expenses slip between the cracks or you maybe overstate revenue and that results in a tax hit, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's not as sexy, right? No one wants to hear go hire a bookkeeper or learn to how to actually do it yourself. Not just click accept on the transactions mm-hmm. and keep you, but actually do it. Mm-hmm. No one wants to hear it, but like that is a legit way to save taxes. Yeah, just by having a correct PL. Amen. None of this double counting revenue thing that actually happens quite a lot for some small businesses. Fun fact. All the time, or they book, um, say they put money in the business and they book it as revenue, and you don't notice. So, like when I do clients' taxes and I am using their DIY books, I review. I ask for access to the QBO. I don't just take the PNL mm-hmm. and I review, but like I'm not auditing it. I'm mm-hmm. not review, I guess, reviewing in the CPA way. <laughs> right. Um, I'm skimming through it and looking for anything that stands out as an issue. Mm-hmm. Well, I may not notice that the money they put in was booked as revenue. And if they put five grand in, that's like half an Augusta loophole, right? Yeah. There. If you had just had the correct bookkeeping, you wouldn't yes. have had to go through Augusta loophole. Oh, that's so great. And I'm so glad that you said that. This is actually something I talked about in my free webinar last week is basically this idea that sometimes we assume that just because we're working with a tax accountant, therefore somebody else is looking or reviewing our, our DIY books. And you can you no. as, are as good as any, um, when you are writing up your contract, you probably specifically state in there, I do not, I'm not reviewing this for accuracy. Like your professional duty as an EA or, you know, tax mm-hmm. preparer or whatever, your professional duty is ex- only to bring to up prepare the tax return right and, and my engagement letter has that line where it says i do not audit review for accuracy or yes. i cannot be relied on to find fraud bingo you know mm-hmm. i do review my clients books yeah. because i mean it's an easy way to look good and prepare mm-hmm. better work quality mm-hmm. um prepare better tax returns and 
if someone's DIYing their books, I don't want to say every time, but you can frequently find big mistakes. Yeah. I think the biggest mistake I found was the guy with the wages payable issue. Mm-hmm. $60,000 of wage expense was really in wage payable. And if it was just an accountant that just kind of was like, oh, yeah, give me your p I'll enter it. And didn't actually think about how is a retail store running on $10,000 of wages. Mm-hmm. Um, there went $60,000 of expense. Yeah. That is a, a lot of taxes. Right. <laughs> a lot of tax savings that, that you'd be missing out on. This right here, Michael, is I think potentially why your tax service gets as high of ratings. That among other yes. things. Thank because you. that's not that's not common. Like that's not every tax Which preparer. Which is weird. I know. It's weird that it isn't. It's weird how many, I guess, mistakes. And I'm not to say that I'm super duper perfect. I'm sure things have slipped through with me. But like how many major errors I've found on other tax returns, mm-hmm. like other accounts tax returns. I'm like, how the hell did this get through review? This mm-hmm. is very incorrect. Right. Um, yeah. It's it's yeah. nuts. It, and, it, and you peel back the layer. And all I have to say for all you small business owners out there who are listening into this You'd be surprised at how much goes to the IRS uh, without a true deep dive understanding of whether or not these finances are actually accurate. A true, and sometimes a true knowledge of tax. I think tax is one of those areas where until you're well-educated in it, you don't realize how much is hiding in the shadows, Mm -hmm. right? And like now, I feel like I'm at a point where I'm like, you know what? I get the feeling there's something here that like I'm not gonna be able to handle. Let me tell them to go somewhere else. And like, I do refer out if they're in niche tax scenarios. Like, I don't do day traders. If you're a true IRS day trader, I don't do it. You know, if you have foreign income, I don't do it. Because these mm-hmm. are like deep areas of tax. Mm-hmm. That's smart. Got to, mm-hmm. You got to niche down. You got to niche down, depending on how you how you. Yeah, that. and niche down and avoid niches you don't have experience in, right? There are some niches in tax that are deeply complicated Mm. and also in accounting too in normal accounting so Mm -hmm. like i am not a cost accounting kind of accountant Mm -hmm. don't ask me to track your inventory Mm -hmm. for you you know i hate it but i think i was like you mentioned zane he loves it yeah that's right (laughs) you should go go listen to that episode if you haven't already Um, i had we spoke a while back he's (laughs) like i personally enjoy cost accounting i'm like perfect right because that's what you got to do for his his niche is wineries for everyone that doesn't know cost accounting is a very big deal there Mm -hmm. and that's part of why i specialize in marketing agencies Mm -hmm. because there's much less cost accounting yeah almost none almost none (laughs) that's good that that is that's huge that's huge so that was part of the consideration one that and i i think it's a it was definitely a good a good move so michael i'm just going to do a quick time check believe it or not we're actually already at the half of the hour do you want to yeah. take 15 extra minutes and let's just like go through another we can question? Keep or going. Let's just go. Let's I don't have do anything it. after this. We've got, we've, you know what? We've got four concurrent review viewers right now. So we want to keep, we want to keep these people engaged with some good hashtag math rants. Like live for the podcast. Yeah. There are 400 people watching I mean, live. 400. If people yes. listen to the podcast won't know. They won't, <laughs> they, know. Won't, they won't have it. I'm just, hey, you know what? I'm just thrilled that all four of you are out there right now. This is great. This is, we've we've doubled the size of the live audience from before. That's how big of an influencer I am. You That's are. the kind of crowd I draw. Michael, you are a mini influencer. Yeah. That's why I wanted to have you on my show. Okay, I've got another question for you. Yeah. And I think, I could be wrong, but I think you will have an opinion about this. 
So I have lots of like seemingly strong opinions on accounting for no reason. Which is, so, yeah. This is fantastic. So this question is cash flow issues are yeah. near and dear to many small business owners. When you yeah. give advice to small business owners experiencing cash flow problems, what are the main points you usually always harp on? I think cash flow as a whole is like fundamentally misunderstood, even by accountants, just the way we talk about it. There are accountants who are very aware of cash flow, and I'm not talking about them. I'm just saying the way we talk about cash flow and make it seem like it's cash inflows and outflows is an oversimplification of what mm. cash flow really is. And we kind of make cash flow seem like something that happens to us. And we always talk about the same kind of things like, oh, give them a cash discount so they pay the invoice faster. Oh, delay your expenses to fix your cash. That does not really work in real small business life. And first off, don't be giving people net 30 terms, which means due in 30 days, because no one knows what the hell net 30 even means to begin with. Net 30 terms and give them a discount ahead of time. Collect that shit up front. Net 30 mm -hmm. only made sense when I had to mail you an invoice and you had to mail me a check, mm. right? Because you need a physical time for things to move between the mail. You need a physical week for my invoice to arrive and a physical week for your check to arrive, be cashed, and for the money to move into my bank account, right? If anything, we should be at net 14 nowadays, net 15, right? Mm -hmm. No more net 30. It's bullshit. But anyway, speaking of cash, it's two main things, right? One, cash flow is much more human than we give it credit for, mm. right? We all like to believe it's just numbers, but there is a human element in all of the moving pieces of cash flow, right? So, for example, I think there are three levers, three levers every business has, and then some niche ones for certain industries, mm. which are invoicing, profitability, and savings. Mm. Invoicing is much more human than we give it credit for. Right. At the end of the day, if you are, if I'm a vendor for someone, right, and we're sending invoices, someone has to, there's a physical person there that has to receive, review, and process that invoice. Right. And the more friction there is in that invoice, the lower on their to do list it's going to be because mm. that's human. Hmm. Right. If you screw around and are kind of a jackass to them during the collections process, mm. that's going to drag it out because people are human. And I know we all want to believe that like invoices should be done in a specific way. It's the best practice. It's how what accounting says. But more realistically, if you want your invoices to be paid fast, you either collect up front, you direct debit, or you really learn the human on the other side. Mm. Right. And there have been lots of cash flow problems I've had with clients where it was a human on the other side issue. It was a human issue. It was a reporting issue. It wasn't really a cash flow issue. Hmm. So like, for example, and this is one of my issues with reports in general, financial reports, right? We rely too much on reports. And don't think about what they're saying. Mm -hmm. um, this, this client came to me, they were a marketing agency and they said, we have a cash flow problem. Our accounts receivable agent report, which for everyone that doesn't know, shows how long invoices have been outstanding, whether it's, you know, zero to 30 days, 30 to 60, 60 plus, whatever the specifics of your AR agent report are. They said, we have a huge percentage of our invoices are late. I was like, all right, let's kind of take a look. They were sending invoices to enterprise companies that were marked due as received. And I was just like, and enterprise companies accounts payable process cannot turn around a payment that fast. Mm -hmm. And 
they didn't have enough invoice data to really drill into the AR report. But I was like, I'm curious to see how many late invoices fall in the zero to seven day window and are late because you didn't give the human element on the other side enough time to process it. Mm, interesting. Right. And I think that's one of the things that gets lost in accounting. We kind of forget that um, this academic big pedigree accounting exists in large businesses mm. because they have systems in place. They have best practices in place. They have tons of cash and all these resources mm -hmm. and small businesses. We don't have that. Hmm. Right. And you can see that a lot in cash flow. Hmm. Right. Should you be paid instantly? Sure. Sure. But that's not how humans work. You know, mm -hmm. there's time. If you send an invoice due as received and the dude who approves invoices is out sick, that's late because mm -hmm. it's going to get approved tomorrow, mm -hmm. right? So um, I don't really remember what the original question was. <laughs> Something about good. cash flow. It We're is. Can you keep going? But but <laughs> I think I think the, the interesting thing, though, is, is like, yeah, so the, the original question was, you know, companies experiencing small businesses experiencing cash flow issues. What is like the very first thing that you will usually go to? And it sounds like your natural gravitational pull is towards invoicing. Mm. And then invoicing. And then as you, you kind of dive into it, I, I loved how you framed it where it's like, we have a human element to mm -hmm. this invoicing. It's not just like you're sending, you know, you're just sending off an email or whatever to like some, you know, robot. There's a human mm -hmm. on the other end of it. And, and someone having... has to review it and approve a payment. Right, right. So knowing that this is, there is such a human element to it, I think you can take a slightly different approach and, and make sure that yeah. you're getting paid on time or, yeah. And the reason I guess I gravitate towards invoicing with cash flow issues is there's a lot of quick wins you can have in invoicing. Mm. You can shift towards collecting money up front and like that's a quick win. You can shift to actually sending invoices on time and mm -hmm. having follow-up scheduled. Yep. All basic, all off-the-shelf accounting software now includes basic invoice follow-up. Mm -hmm. Right? It's not like 20 years ago. You can go into the settings and set up a reminder. And I don't mean like a follow-up like to harass them to pay you. I mean like Knowing there's a human element, you're sending it into, if it's a small business, the owner is approving payments and the, the owner is busy. Mm -hmm. They may have forgotten. Yeah. Because paying invoices is not a priority. Mm -hmm. No matter how much we want to believe it is, it yeah. isn't. They may have forgotten. They just need a reminder. Hey, by the way, this invoice is due soon. Thanks so much. Right? Set mm -hmm. up that thing. And there's a lot of those quick wins in invoicing. Whereas with profitability... Yeah, you can cut expenses and there's some wins there. You can review project profitability, but it involves much more movement. Like if mm -hmm. you want to raise prices, right, that in the service environment, it's not a snap your fingers thing like it would be in retail. Yeah, in right. retail, I just raise my prices. Mm -hmm. In services, you have to interface and re-engage with the clients. And like building savings, like that could take months. Mm -hmm. It's an important part of cash flow, but it could take months. So yeah. like the quick wins are in invoicing. Yeah, that is that is so good. I think if I remember correctly, this is something you may have even posted about, but just mm. even the simple act in invoicing of not letting, like if you've said you pay in 30 days, not letting them paying on 35 days or 40 days or 45 days start to become the norm and go unaddressed. Because if you don't speak to those, you know, over like paying beyond those due dates, you're essentially saying, I'm fine with that. Mm hmm. Yep. 
I'm not sure if I said that first off. Oh, <laughs> maybe I was I reading with. somebody else, but <laughs> it may have. But I do agree with it yeah. that you can't let it go unaddressed, and that it doesn't have to be something very confrontational where it's mm -hmm. like you must pay on time. It can be a little bit more honest and just be like, "Listen, we are a boutique marketing agency with." 10, 15 employees or whatever. And the vast majority of businesses are 10, 15 or mm. lower employees, mm -hmm. right? And say, we're a boutique firm and cash flow really matters to us. And we need these invoices paid on time because then we can't make our payroll. So either, you know, we'll let this invoice slide. You know, we're not going to charge late fees or interest or anything silly, but please pay on time next time. Or we're going to have to renegotiate the payment terms and move towards, um, paying up front or direct debiting because we can't be a banker you know we need the money to pay our employees mm -hmm. and in service businesses where that is your major expense paying employees yeah. like an invoice coming in 15 days late that's like a whole pay cycle yeah you know that's true so yeah that's good that's good so mm -hmm. you heard it here quick wins invoicing when it comes to your cash invoicing. flow issues so Mm -hmm. keep keep a mind keep a mind of of that um what if i ask you one more question then we move to please. words of wisdom how does that sound please okay so michael you actually this is this is kind of a fun backstory this is this please. right here this story right here is actually what endeared me michael to you uh so that's where we initially connected but you made a post a while back and that made yeah. some serious waves in the accounting community oh yeah it was people uh people were like tearing each other apart i mean it was, it was one side or the other side but yeah yes, it was this it was it was controversial ultimately yes like i said it endeared me to you um i have even though i disagree with you i'd still i think it was great that you posted this you were talking crap about balance sheets and, and ultimately <laughs> but ultimately you're talking about like how traditional financial reports are not meeting the needs of small business owners. So do you mind for our audience here, maybe expanding a little bit on this topic? Yes. So first off, yes, traditional financial reports don't meet the needs, right? Even a profit and loss by definition doesn't include some of the largest expenses or colloquial cash outflows a business would have. So owners draws won't show up on a PL, It's a huge outflow, right? Or the statement of cash flows that is a garbage report for a small business because all of your cash flows is going to be like operational and then you're like ooh, ten dollars in investment right <laughs> right and that's gonna be the entire statement of cash flows yeah right now the thing with balance sheets i think balance sheets are overrated in small businesses mm. and i'm gonna say under five million dollars gross revenue mm. which a lot of people want to say isn't a small business but it comes down to a few things right one, small business balance sheets are not like big business balance sheets with disclosures and footnotes and lots of information in them, right? Mm -hmm. They're much simpler. There's much fewer balance sheet transactions, unless you want to get really nuanced and say every P&L transaction technically runs through retained earnings somehow, blah, blah, blah. There's fewer balance sheet transactions. I'm not getting into that mm -hmm. nuance, right? Um, but the bigger problem is that for businesses under $5 million, they probably do not have a legit financial system in place, legit financial best practices. They're not at a point or they're just at the point where they're hiring a controller, right? Mm -hmm. They probably do not have a bookkeeper. They may be outsourcing it, but they don't have someone in-house. And I think for balance sheets and all those assets, liabilities, and equities, 
you really need an accountant because mm -hmm. they are somewhat complicated accounts. Hmm. And I think once you start looking at balance sheets and you actually go line by line and look at every line, if someone does not have a legit, a legit finance team, there are going to be mistakes. Oh, yeah. Right. So if we look at accounts receivable, if they're doing their invoicing in another software other than the accounting software and it's not integrated, there will be mistakes in AR. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, depreciation. I mean, maybe some accountants booking it once a month, but realistically, it's like once a year. Right. Um, inventory, unless you have like a really sophisticated system that's integrated, is wrong. Um, True. Loans payable is probably wrong and also a meaningless metric to business owners. Mm. Um, loan payments due in 90 days is probably more meaningful than current loans, but loans payable wouldn't be broken out into current loans and long-term loans on a small business balance sheet because that's not how the software does it, mm -hmm. right? Which is one of the differences between if someone's watching this and isn't an account, they have no idea what, <laughs> what are you are saying. Them. I'm like, but like I'm, I'm understanding everything you're saying. I will say the caveat there I will say is for small businesses, they won't be broken yes. out. For large businesses, they will be. But they're supposed to. Right. Large <laughs> businesses are supposed to. That's how a legit balance sheet is supposed that's to be right. done. You're supposed to have current loans payable and mm -hmm. long-term loans payable. Right. And that makes that number more meaningful. Mm -hmm. But like, if it's not broken out, loans payable by itself is not particularly meaningful. Mm -hmm. right? And not only that, I think payments due in 90 days is still more meaningful than current loans payable. Mm -hmm. Right? But when you kind of go through all these kind of lines, like wages payable will never be correct, or it will be out of date by a full pay cycle by the time you look at it, because it takes time to close and sit and review mm -hmm. it, right? So my problem with it is, if your business is small enough under $5 million revenue, the balance sheet is overrated because it's so frequently filled with errors. Yeah. You know, and accountants don't like hearing that because it goes against what the academic accounting kind of right. big pedigree says because they say you know things like working capital ratio acid tests mm -hmm. you know these things but another thing with all those kind of ratios they assume financial best practices are in place right if you're not collecting ar in a financial best practices way those ratios mean something different right and um yeah, I just think they're overrated. I don't yeah. think we should get rid of them. Oh, okay. I, think, I don't think we should get rid of them. <laughs> that's good. Well, some people thought I wanted to get rid of right, them. I was like, right, right. Well, I that's, just said overrated. That's why if you, I don't know, you probably don't remember this, but the comment that I left is I'm like, yeah. I really hope people read the comment section down below because yeah. I think you, people better understand what you meant by that. But the way that I like to talk about balance sheet, though, is I'm like, mm -hmm. I think, I think to some extent I agree in that I don't think a small business owner is going to look at the balance sheet and derive a ton of meaningful insights. Mm -hmm. They're going to look at their PL and they're going to feel that. What yeah. a balance sheet is really, really important for is you can't real. I can't rely on a PL unless I feel really comfortable that my balance sheet is good. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, kind of goes that's the territory. because we're accountants and you took an auditing class at some point. I know. And auditing is big on making sure the balance sheet is correct. Mm -hmm. Right. And I do agree, like, if there are problems on the balance sheet, there's probably problems elsewhere. Yeah. And when I do my clients' returns, and if they require a balance sheet for their tax return, a lot of the time, frankly, I'm preparing them from scratch from source docs, mm -hmm. right? Because I don't trust the balance sheets. And the thing is, like, I think they're overrated because they cannot be trusted. And if you can't trust it, what am I going to do with it? Yeah. 
you know and like there were some people like you and i think kathy who's a cfo who had like legit arguments for the balance sheet mm-hmm. and then there was like other people who like proved my points that balance sheets are overrated and one guy was just like well what will we give banks and i was like reporting for banks does not make it meaningful right it, <laughs> that's point. not how meaningful works good point it walks right into or someone else was like i use the balance sheet to explain why their profit is so high on the tax return i was like also does not make it meaningful <laughs> being a supporting schedule does not make something meaningful if it cannot stand on its own as a legit report it's not meaningful mm. right if if i have to use the balance sheet as a supporting schedule of the profit and loss it is lower right it is overrated hmm. and i still stand by that that in small businesses but that's what i was saying a little bit earlier that's that small business accounting has a data problem hmm. right and a lot of small business accounting issues come back to a data problem yeah right that is so so good and so true michael mm-hmm. um this has been so much fun i knew i knew we were gonna have more than enough stuff to talk about fun fact for everybody listening yeah we had six yeah. questions prepared we got through three of them. Did we? we so, like, oh, we did get through. We only got through three because we had so many great things to talk about. So I mm-hmm. think what this means, I could be wrong, but I think mm-hmm. what this means is you just have to come back on the show and we'll take care sure. of the other three questions. Yes. Sure. We'll do like a part two episode, if we will. Yeah. Something like that. That seems to be the norm when I go on podcasts now. That's just like, we're going to have to, this is going to be two. I'm going to go off on a tangent. Yeah. I'm going to talk about why balance sheets are bad. <laughs> And then we're just gonna have to have a part two. Um, also, accountants, send your hate mail to me. Yes, you, you can. I don't give a shit. Some people are very upset. Very upset. I mean, that. send it, Michael. I am still a little bit upset, but that's, that's fine. The point. That's it's fine. That's okay. It's totally okay. That doesn't change my thoughts. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, Michael, I want to give you an opportunity. So hopefully, I think with all four concurrent viewers that we have on here, maybe one of them or maybe all of them, you don't know, is a uh, marketing agency owner, maybe they're a consultant, Mm -hmm. they might be. So what I want Mm -hmm. to do is I want to give you a platform Mm -hmm. to now give some words of wisdom to those running marketing agencies as they're looking to grow their practice. What words of wisdom would you give to them? Okay, hire me would be a really good one. But um, realistically, you have to actively work on your cash flow if you want it to be good. Right. That doesn't mean that it's going to always be this kind of Sisyphean pushing the boulder up the cliff, but you got to give a shit. Like when you kind of send invoices sporadically and you're like, oh crap, I forgot to follow up. That's why your cash flow is bad. And cash flow forecasting isn't going to help you because you can't forecast without best practices first. Mm. Right. So you have to care. You have to care about your invoices, your profitability. Um, the way you draw money out of the business, savings, all of that. And then the last one is don't commit tax fraud, right? That's bad. And then if you do commit tax fraud, what's going to happen is you'll probably get caught and then you'll pay someone like me a lot more money to fix it. Uh-huh. So, I mean, that's that's sound advice. And um, mm-hmm. those are phenomenal words of wisdom. Yes, thank you. That's good. That's good. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael, invariably somebody is going to have watched this and they're going to be like, Oh, I need to reach out to this guy. How can people find you? Where do they go to connect with you? So if you want to hear all my rantings and my spicier thoughts on accounting um, and small business, you can find me on LinkedIn. uh, Michael Eckstein. If you Google LinkedIn's cutest accountant, I believe my profile still comes up. Gosh, That's so great. Right. Right. That's something for people to be jealous of. 
And if you want to read my longer form, smarter thoughts, go to restingbusinessface.com, subscribe to the newsletter. I typically talk about cash flow, so invoices, profit, some accounting stuff, strategy every now and then. Longer form. I like to think it doesn't suck, but um, let all the reviews on the front page tell you. Right? It, it is really it is good. good. I've seen, I've seen, I've been subscribed now, I think, for a couple weeks. Yeah, a few weeks. And I love it. I'm learning things. Right. That's where learn. I do all my actual, like, accounting thinking. It's smart. It's really smart stuff. It's, it's, what did you say? It's the best, the best, uh, darn. Best damn small business That's newsletter right. on the internet. That's right. So good. So good. So go and if you guys are watching this, go and subscribe now. And they can just go to what is it? Restingbusinessface.com. Restingbusinessface.com. And it's right on the homepage. Phenomenal. Great mm-hmm. website. Find them on LinkedIn. Right. Are you on Twitter? Are you on other social media platforms? Technically, but in like the mildest way. Okay. So no. Okay. I like silently peruse tax Twitter every now and then. That's okay. like every accountant's vice. There's like three for the non-accountants, there's like three <laughs> accounting communities where all they do is talk shit all day. <laughs> and one great. of them is tax Twitter. It's like every okay. now and then I'm like, oh, you're upset today. <laughs> That's great. So maybe you go check that out. But for sure, he's on LinkedIn all the time. Yes. I love the stuff so you much. put out there. Um, and uh, yeah, so it, uh, sorry, I just had a question come in. Um, Christopher wants to know where you buy T-shirts. Oh, Printful. They're print-on-demand, um, all in after shirt printing, shipping, and taxes. It's like 20 bucks anywhere in the U.S. That's why I can just, any size, any color, I have the design saved. I just go click, click, and send it out. <laughs> Perfect. I'm, I'm really glad that we got a chance to ask that last question. That was potentially I mean, the best of the questions that we got important. to ask. They're nice shirts. I'll send you, the, I'll send you a shirt later. You'll okay. see. Okay. All right. I dig it. Perfect. Well, everybody who was able to watch, I I hope you found value in our episode today. If you have a pressing accounting question that you'd like Mm -hmm. future guests to answer, you can email me at tony at equip.com, which is Mm -hmm. A-C-C-Q-U-I-P.com. Also, if you are an accounting professional or you know one who would be interested in coming on the show, please reach out to me as well. Mm -hmm. We do have an extra special second live episode coming to you in just under four hours. So stick with us. We're going to go live again at 2.30 p.m. Central Standard Time, which is 3.30 Eastern or 12.30 Pacific Standard. Uh, You're not going to want to miss that episode because we're actually going to explore something we talked a little bit about, which is inventory. We're going to be talking about the wonderful world of process improvement in the CPG industry with our lovely guest, Jamie Skinner. So not going to want to miss that. Less than four hours. Go ahead and subscribe now if you haven't already. But I want to thank you all so much for tuning in today. And as always, keep calm and keep your clothes on.